Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Welcome once again, folks, to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour right here on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Uh, We gather like this every weekend. And Alan Dempsey, our engineer, gets us on the air faithfully. And Andrew Herdlisk is our producer. And in this first segment, Matt Thomas is with us. Spokane, Washington, where we found him completing Project Me. Uh, that's the name of his new book. Came out this summer, uh, Broad Street Publishing. And uh, we're so happy to plug in with you, Matt. Hope you're doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks, Pat. Tell us about the title of that book and what that means. Oh, sure, sure. So, uh, you know, everybody's got projects in their life they're trying to do, whether it's a quilt or a car or uh, or some big uh, academic or, or vocational kind of activity. And, uh, you know, the biggest project we have in our life is ourselves. It's not something out there. It's it's completing or, or perfecting or finding our purpose and living into it. The problem, the basic problem, the reason I put that title in there is uh, it's not really – we didn't start the project – and we're not the ones that can complete it. God is. God goes on record in uh, in the scriptures in Philippians chapter one verse six, saying, uh, "Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion till the day of Christ." So God started it. God will finish it. And so the only way we're going to complete our the project of developing ourselves into the person we're supposed to be is if we, we tap into what God wants us to do and be, and and uh, let Him do the work. Part one is called a biblical view of fullness. Uh, what does that What does that mean? Well, the, yeah, that uh, there's an interesting concept. It's a Greek word. There's a Greek word called pleroma. It's used several times in the Bible. We don't have a, an adequate equal, uh, English equivalent, but uh, fullness is that uh, that there's pieces. You know, almost everything God does in the pages of Scripture has a fuller. Um, uh, application to it later, and you know, just to speak real quickly. I mean, I could give you fifty examples, but um, Moses, when Moses took the people out of Egypt, and he was told to be obedient and you know, kill a lamb and and uh, spread the blood on the doorposts and have unleavened bread and all that, and uh, and then they left. And uh, one would think, and I'm sure Moses may have even thought that that was kind of the end of that. And it's it's not until about thirteen hundred years later that we see that there's a fuller ex- explanation of what that uh, what that all meant in Jesus and his blood and uh, and the unleavened life and, and all of that. So uh, all the way through the scripture, something, you know, Isaiah the prophet said, um, a young woman will conceive, and, and that verse could have been young woman or virgin, well, uh, and, and give birth to a child, and, and uh, that they were going to be liberated from the Assyrians, well, of course, we know that happened in the 8th century B.C., but it also was used by the angel to, 
to prophesy about Jesus. So the, the whole point is, is everything in our life, when we think it's a one-off, uh, whether it's a tragedy that we've experienced or whether it's a, uh, a very, you know, grace-filled thing, or if it's something where we think we just helped one person by doing a kind deed, um, there's a whole lot more packed into every experience than what we uh, give give it credit for. We dismiss things as one-offs, but God's got a lot in store. Part two, what fullness looks like today. Uh, Can you expand on that? Sure. So, um, you know, the whole concept of, of fullness you know, when we start looking at our lives and we start putting threads together or pieces together, if we're very attentive, God gives us, through His Scriptures, by His Holy Spirit, through the community that we're in, through the exercise of our spiritual gifts and the kinds of things and the use of our experiences, we start seeing how those pieces start putting uh, being put together if we're attentive to it. So that whole section talks about the fact that you know, and, and I use the illustration of ripples on a pond. You throw a rock to make a big splash, and then you think the activity of the rock is over, and you start to walk away only to turn around and realize that if it's a very calm day, those ripples may, may go on for uh, minutes and, and go um, hundreds and hundreds of yards along the way. So every act, for every activity, there's not an equal and opposite uh, result or consequence, but... Uh, but there's a lot of stuff that comes out of it. So we have to, I, I basically talk about how to find those things, how to find the, uh, the ripples or the threads and how they connect together, because you know, God makes it pretty clear that he'll do that. Then uh, part three is called My Part in the Project. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Well, you know, the Lord's going to do it, but... Uh, <laughs> He tells us to persevere. He tells us to continue in faith, and there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of what we call cohortative in the in the um, in the Greek, uh, which basically means, you know, you have to participate in this process. You don't have to drive it, um, but but you can't sit idly by. You have to continue to walk in faith. And if, if you just basically throw in the towel and and uh, or back out or or fail to see what God is doing, then you become discouraged and you give up along the way. That's one of the reasons for the subtitle, is how understanding God's perspective changes ours. Um, we lost a son. I have a son that passed away of cancer at 28. He was a pastor, mm. a wonderful young man, married, no children, but, uh, but uh, that was about a decade ago. And, uh, you know, he was, a, he was a joy to us, et cetera. But... Um, uh, so many people that I that I know uh, were placing everything about that tragic event on uh, you know the goodness or the or the failure of God on on that specific event. And my wife and I had a larger view. We understood as painful as it was. And of course, we grieved like anybody else would. Um, there was deep pain associated with that, but. Having said that, we we know the character of the Lord, so we were just looking for ways in which uh, there would be um, a little bit more uh, good activity that would come from that. And I mean, I could go on and on and on, but I won't uh, belabor the audience. Um, just to say that uh, that whole uh, third section is what our part is in um, synergistically working with the Lord to see that uh, finished product that we're really hoping for. In that third part, Matt, 
uh, you say mm-hmm. pray more and for more. Uh, mm-hmm. Can you can you expand on that? Sure. So um, you know, if we really know that God is at work, then we're not just going to come and bring the the latest thing before Him and say, "I want this, I want that." Uh, most people have a tendency to relegate their prayer for as requests for something that they want. Uh, if we if we realize that God's at work in everything that happens in our life, that uh, that the difficult circumstances, that the obstacle, that the thing that challenges our faith, as well as the good things that we're seeking, etc., we have a tendency to pray more if we really understand that God's at work in everything. Uh, the second second thing is we pray for more. So we're not just praying for stuff that we want, but we're we're praying to become the kind of person God wants us to be. Um, I find that prayer gets thinner and thinner. I'm talking about just the volume, the amount of time, and the subject matter um, with people that don't get this concept that, that we're part uh, of a project that God is completing, and there's a whole lot more to our life than just the benefit of us, that uh, we're part of it. We're asking for His kingdom to come, His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray in the in the Lord's Prayer, and so um, that, that praying for more and praying more um, is indicative. It's a sign that a person understands that God's at significant work. And if we don't think he is, it pretty well shows up in, in both the volume and the subject matter that we pray for. It becomes pretty thin. While we're... <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> While we're in part three... Yeah. You tell us to be thankful for the clear and unclear... Uh, mm-hmm. I'd like you to expand on that, Matt. Sure. There's probably more in a person's life that's unclear than that's clear. You know, we say, well, why did that happen? Or, you know, uh, I don't get that that seems that seemed to be more of an impediment to any progress that God might have in my life. It, usually those are the kind of interruption types of things. And, and again, I put some stories in there that give examples of that. But uh, um, we... Y- we shouldn't just be thankful for those things that we have a clear answer for, but if we know that God is, you know, it tells us in Romans eight twenty eight that God works uh, for the good of those who love him in all things, everything, um, those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So if that's the case, then uh, then our gratitude shouldn't just be for the good stuff. You know, we sit around the the the, the table at, Thanksgiving Day, and when you say, you know, what are you thankful for? People have a tendency to gravitate toward what I would call the blessings, you know, our family, uh, breath, salvation, um, good friends, whatever it is, the food before us, etc. You don't hear a lot of people saying, now, I, I thank the Lord for this this disability, this impediment, this, uh, this problem, this financial um, trial, because it was really in that that the Lord has been shaping me and forming me. My guest, Matt Thomas, the book, Completing Project Me. We got more with Matt right here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word, in Orlando. Matt Thomas is with us. He's in Spokane, Washington. The book, Completing Project Me. Matt, how do we know that God is working for our benefit through the events of our lives? How, how can we be sure of that? 
A couple of things. I think that uh, every person who has said, you know, I'm going to thank my, the whole idea of faith isn't just believing in God, but uh, as it says in Hebrews 11, 6, it says, but but also understanding that God rewards those who earnestly seek him. In other words, faith is more than just raw belief. It's believing that God's good. And uh, so if a person comes with that posture to the Lord, uh, I've just found over and over again, and I travel all over the world. I've worked in uh, uh, nearly 100 countries uh, with people in rich countries, poor countries, and i found that people that walk by a, a, a resilient and robust faith, uh, they do see the character of God coming through, uh, even in difficult things. And so that's one of the, just the proof is in the pudding, I guess, I would say. What's your favorite country to visit? Uh, you know, we've spent lots of time all over the East uh, and the Middle East. I can't mention countries specifically there. Those are some of my favorite places. Uh, we've loved, we've got so many friends in the Philippines. We used to live there. Uh, we were missionaries for a season. We love the India. Uh, Asian cultures are probably a little bit more something we're familiar with, and we spend most of our time in. But uh, we love Africa and South America, too. What was it about the Philippines you enjoyed? You know, uh, learning culture, learning the language, interacting with people, uh, very different life circumstances from which uh, which we grew up in, and yet seeing people, um, boy, live just very, very um, lovely lives, uh, ebullient, buoyant, uh, joy-filled folks, and so that was a joy. Our relationships were, were peak. Matt, what do you say to the person who has had setback after setback from birth? Yeah, and uh, and I counseled with and met with uh, people all over the world that fit in that category. And uh, it, it sounds glib to say um, not only trust the Lord in this, but um, ask him to not just deliver you from the difficulties, but make some, take some, make some value out of it. Uh, redeem it, um, bring about good, not just for for you, but for someone else. And uh, if we can kind of lift up our eyes a little bit beyond the circumstance, and if we can can uh, ask God to use the pain that we've had for his good and for benefit, and for our good and for our benefit and the benefit of others, um, God's faithful, he'll do that. Uh, I'm also curious and interested how can we know if our life is influencing others, Matt? How do we know that? Yeah, and some of that only comes with uh, a season of time, and I spend a, a chapter on that. I, um, we talk about, you know, a lot of people have uh, faith in, in results, not necessarily in re- resolution, I should say, uh, not necessarily in God. So people are, will have faith in God as long as he produces in a certain period of time. I always say, you know, uh, the project is a long project. I mean, it, you know, the, the scriptures cover thousands of years. The the story of salvation. It's not like um, you know these prophets. If you if you pay much attention, or or King David before he ended up on the throne, he was in the wilderness a long time. And the Apostle Paul took many years out in the desert and and uh, traveling around before he was proven. Uh, to be faithful enough for the, the church to send him out. So I always uh, tell people, you can know if you're observant, if you continue to walk by faith, 
uh, if you look for the signs of what he's doing and you give the seasons enough uh, space to be able to reveal uh, what he's doing. And he'll lead people in your path that uh, that will be will benefit from the experiences you have, no matter how difficult they are. So a lot of it has to do with time, uh, time plus faith, you know, plus this opportunity. And uh, we have a tendency to, to put a time limit on God. I remember a guy one time said, yeah, I've tried the God thing. I was... I uh, prayed to receive Christ and and uh, exercise faith for two weeks, and I haven't gotten everything I wanted. Mm. I think I'm going to back out of this. Mm. Mm. And uh, that's, of course, that's extreme, but um, there are people that kind of follow that pattern. And I would just say, hold in there. Matt, do you think growth through trial was a part of every Bible character's experience? Or Absolutely. Just, or, or, or just some? No, absolutely. I, I don't think a person grows without trial, and that's why I say that if we're, unless we're looking for the Lord's development of us and our character in good stuff and difficult stuff, things that make sense, things that are unclear, the clear and the unclear, um, we're missing the point, because uh, the only way we become mature, uh, and we know that, that, that uh, we have to be you know, as iron sharpens iron, I mean, you know, a flint has to, to, to hit the knife to be able to to sharpen it and make it worthy of use. So our lives are the same way. If God is completing us through all the events in our life, Matt, why doesn't he make the benefit clearer along the way? What do you think about that? Yeah, you know, I, I've, I've thought a lot about that. In fact, I wrote another um, several articles. I've published uh, quite a bit over the years, and I wrote one uh, article on what I called the fruit of trial. And uh, one of the points I put about, because some of the trials come from our own sin, some of the trials we go through or difficulties come from Satan. Some of them, uh, you know, the Lord takes credit for having famines and, and things like that, as really as a uh, result of the disobedience of people. But there's natural disasters, uh, volcanoes and hurricanes and things like that. Uh, but I tell people frequently why God doesn't reveal that is He doesn't. He knows that our our ego would be inflated if we if we could see the end picture of everything. We wouldn't really be doing things by faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, it says hope that is seen is no hope at all. It says in the scripture, and it, you know if you could see the end result, if you can see the outcome of it then it makes it easy, and and you don't even have to exercise faith. If you can't see it, and I think God kind of wants to keep our view limited and our perspective limited so our eyes are on Him, not on the outcome. And uh, so I talk a little bit about that as well. And by the way, I said uh, that's one thing I think God and Satan are both agreed on. Uh, You know, God doesn't want us to to see the uh, end result of all these things because, uh, you know, our egos will inflate and and uh, and we'll feel like we've done it on our own or something. And, and Satan doesn't want us to see the end result because he doesn't want us to be encouraged uh, by seeing good results. So that's one area where, you know, just a cloudy future um, keeps us walking by faith, but also uh, focused on the character of God, not the outcome of our circumstance. Matt, how do you think we should learn to center ourselves on gratitude? You know, that's a key, Pat. You just hit on a, a key of the whole book is um, if we kind of get our eyes off of, you know, just being results-oriented, then we start saying, God, thank you for the 
person that cut me off in traffic today, as well as thank you for that nice little serendipitous gift or the person that paid it forward my coffee at the Starbucks line. Um, it just becomes the warp and woof of everything we do when we understand the concept in the book that God's, God's completing us through everything. And so let's thank him for everything. Uh, there's an old man that I met one time and just one of those guys always had a smile on his face, greeting people at church, 92 years old. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I asked him one time, I said, you know, why are you like this? And he said, you know, uh, you know, cause he's so loving. Nobody had ever seen him in a sour mood or anything for 50, 60, 70 years. Anyway, he, uh, he commented, he said, you know, I just, it said, give, it says in the scripture, give thanks to the Lord in all things for this is God's will and grace concerning you. That's in first uh, Thessalonians five. And uh, he said, I just decided to give God thanks a hundred times every day. And so I get up in the morning and I keep count and I just thank the Lord for the day, for the bed that I'm in, for whatever, when I get up and the bed that I'm in, when I lie down, the meals in between, the people that I encounter. And he said, I count. And if I get to the end of the day and I've, I've only hit 68 things I've been thankful for, I just sit there and say, thank you, God. I say it 32 times mm. to make up a hundred. And, uh, and I think that a life of gratitude is one that's well-practiced, and it's well-practiced because it's well-understood that God is still at work. I want you to talk about, Matt, your life as a leader. When did Uh you first realize that you had leadership skills? When were you first thrust into positions of leadership? How do you evaluate yourself as a leader? That's a good question. Um, I've done several interviews. It's the first time that's been asked. But uh, I, yeah, I was probably 19 years old, and I was in college, and it seemed like everything I was doing, people were wanting to do with or for, and there were some good outcomes and results, things, whether they were on the athletic field. I played basketball and, and uh, ran track and, and uh, in school. Uh, and uh, people followed that. People, I led Bible studies. I talked to people about God. I engaged with people in business, uh, gathered people together for various kinds of things. And so it was early. And then the development of it, I've leaned heavily upon um, making sure that there's fruitfulness in various areas before I step into new adventure. This last role I've been in, which is an overseer of a global ministry, um, with about 25,000 churches in 114 countries. Um, and I've been one of the leaders of that. That that was a position that I was uh, elected into by my peers around the globe. So, so I was thrust more into that one. What do you want uh, people to take from this book you've written? A uh, lot of hope and a new perspective of understanding God. God's given us enough signs in the Scripture that He's good, and we have to believe in His goodness. Or, you know, just to have faith in God is, is you know, that, that can have a lot of um, um, consequences of people believing in God, but they believe God is a, is a punishing God or is hard, uh, hard-nosed and really is not for our benefit or for our good. But we do have to believe that God starts the project. He really is interested in completing us fully. And so I want people to understand that the more and more they understand how God works, the more grateful they'll be, the more they'll pray uh, throughout their life. They'll understand that everything has a fuller aspect to it than what they can see 
So they just need to open their eyes. That's what I want people to be able to see. God's at work, whether they can see it or not. I'm curious, Matt, mm-hmm. about the principles in this book. Uh, how do they play out uh, to these people you're meeting abroad as you travel globally? Yeah, that, that's probably one of the reasons I wrote the book, is because I saw people whose lives were devastated by disaster after disaster, people who experienced it in Central Africa, whose whole family, 13 siblings, all killed in genocide, uh, people in the Middle East who walked for a week or more uh, on hot sand and with relatively bare feet uh, to get to a refugee camp, whose uh, family members were were destroyed by terrorist groups or beheaded, uh, spouse beheaded, and uh, carrying little children. And I see some of these folks, I've been in context with folks who have an undescribable joy. It's, uh, and, it, and you're starting to say, well, wait a minute, it really can't have to do with uh, material outcomes. It can't really have to do with just a string of experiences that are good. So my international experience not only uh, not only am I able to speak into that, but it's part of the fodder from which I write the book that here in America we have a tendency to be too much outcome-oriented, and so God is evaluated purely on immediate outcomes uh, rather than the understanding of his character and allowing him to work and build joy in the midst of pain and crisis. Matt, in conclusion, uh, mm-hmm. here, here's a way-out question. Do you, think, sure. do you think we should be looking for meaning in every experience in our lives? Yeah, I, I, well, well put. Uh, you know, I think we should. We may find it. We may not. Um, but just the benign things that take place. Um, you know, I was in Florence, Italy uh, one time, and I missed my train, and, and I was supposed to meet someone, and and I was frustrated because I missed my train, and I had to catch another train that was an hour later. And it wasn't until I'm sitting on that train that I I heard my name. <laughs> I looked, and it was a young man that I had been talking to about God, and he counseled, and he'd walked far away from God and from Seattle, Washington. And he was vacationing with his wife, and, and uh, we sat together, and there was a restoring kind of conversation that took place there. And so... Yeah, I mean, you know, I was was I frustrated at missing my train and missing my appointment, yes, but there was something else in it. So, yeah, I would say every circumstance, whether we see it or not, somebody may have seen or witnessed, or it might just be a shaping opportunity for us. Matt Thomas has been our guest completing Project Me. We've got more after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We'll be right back. Thank you so much for being with us here for the Saturday Power Hour with Pat Williams. Pat's first guest was Matt Thomas and the author of Completing Project Me. As for me, I'm Alan Dempsey, usually on the other side engineering this, and Pat is still here. But what we're going to do is Pat's going to talk about something that's very near to his heart. And now you probably saw Pat November 20th. He has a renewed effort to make the city beautiful, a major league baseball town as well. Hello, Pat. Nice to be talking to you. Well, Alan, I've been looking at you all morning through, <laughs> through the glass, and now... Uh, 
uh, we're going to talk baseball. Yeah. Um, if that's permissible. It's permissible. Good. I mean, it's one of my favorite sports, and I'm not a big sports fan, as you, you know. Uh, why start an effort here in Orlando to bring a major league baseball team here? Alan, I think we've matured as a community and as a sports town. <clears throat> it was 33 years ago uh, that we started up the effort uh, to bring the Orlando Magic here as an expansion team. Mm-hmm. And we were successful in that effort. Uh, we are now in our <clears throat> 31st season as an NBA city. Wow. And, uh, <clears throat> and have become uh, one of the better operated franchises in the NBA. Uh, it was about, uh, what, seven, eight years ago <clears throat> when uh, professional soccer arrived here? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, that was the second big major league sport to arrive here. Uh, ice hockey is down the road in Tampa, so that's never going to come here. And there are three NFL teams in Florida. But baseball, uh, there's a chance, Alan, to make it happen here. Uh, Major League Baseball has said publicly that at some point they would like to expand by two cities. Um, As soon as the ballpark situation in St. Pete and in Oakland is resolved, Mm -hmm. uh, which they've been trying to get resolved for years, and I don't know whether they'll ever get them resolved, uh, just as an aside. Yeah. Uh, but Major League Baseball, uh, back in the summer, announced that they would be considering six markets uh, as potential expansion sites. Uh, they were Charlotte, Nashville, Montreal, Vegas, Portland, and Vancouver. When I saw that... Uh, my blood pressure went up, and I thought, wait a minute. Orlando, Florida is the 18th largest media market in the country. Uh, The largest media market in the top 20 in the country Mm -hmm. that doesn't have a big league ball club. And, And these cities that were mentioned are much smaller, much smaller media markets, uh, Orlando is uh, is growing uh, uh, dramatically in a way that it's almost stunning. I mean, we have stunning. millions of people coming here, Pat, from all over. Well, Matt, last year there were 75 million visitors <laughs> from all over the world Play ball. <laughs> who came here. Um, uh, the number one tourist destination in the world. And, and that's not going to slow down, man. No. Uh, 75 million in last year in 2018. Uh, we'll know soon uh, 2019's numbers. It'll probably be higher. Uh, I don't know that it'll be 80 million, but it'll eventually be 80 million. In 10 years, could be 100 million visitors. Universal has this mammoth project that is going to get underway on Universal Boulevard, uh, somewhere down. They've announced it. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's coming. And then Disney keeps adding, and uh, uh, people keep keep coming in here in waves. 
Now, Alan, that doesn't take into account the people who are moving here permanently. Uh, 2,000 people a week are moving here uh, in central Florida, Mm -hmm. Uh, most of them probably coming from up north, New England, Midwest. Uh, Probably most of them come from Major League Baseball areas, so they have a baseball interest. Anyway, Alan... Uh, the, the big leagues have announced this expansion effort. They left Orlando out, and I got all uh, worked up and said, we got to do something about this. So back through the spring, through the summer, mm-hmm. we have been working behind the scenes fervently. And then three weeks ago, three and a half weeks ago, we had a press conference at the Dubs Dread uh, Tap Room in which we announced we're going for it. And we steered people to this website that you, Alan, have steered yourself to. It's right there in front of my face. Yes, and and so it's orlandodreamers.com. Orlandodreamers.com. And, Alan, we want people to go up there and uh, tell us two things. Number one, I think this is a good idea, and I think... Major League Baseball in Orlando would be terrific, and uh, I'm for it. And secondly, uh, at some point, I would have some interest in a season ticket plan. Now, in the first three weeks, Alan, three and a half weeks, 10,386 people said yes. I'd have interest in a season ticket plan. Now, nobody just buys one ticket. Mm -hmm. So let's uh, be conservative and say uh, two tickets times 10,386. That's about 21,000 tickets, potentially. 21,000. The ballpark uh, probably would be 40,000, you know, fully, about 40,000. So you can see we've made some nice headway, but the competition is going to be extremely fierce. Mm -hmm. Fierce, because these other cities want in. And just like uh, 33 years ago when the uh, pressure, the intensity to come into the NBA as an expansion team, it was was fierce. Uh, Eventually, they took all four of us as expansion cities Miami, Orlando, Charlotte, and Minneapolis. Um, This is going to be probably more fierce because they're only going to take two two expansion cities. Mm -hmm. And um, we just have to show the public and show baseball uh, that we have some unique features here. And we've got enormous support. And uh, we need to keep grinding and keep pushing at it. And that's why I'm Chewing on it, you know. Just, I can see you. <laughs> just telling, telling people, get to that website. Give us something really, really uh, strong to sell. Tell you that they really want a team here in Orlando, a baseball team. Yeah. And, Alan, here's the interesting thing. Uh, the magic really was birthed uh, by the citizens of this community back then. And, and from the time the team arrived, uh, people felt a sense of ownership. 
-hmm. Like I helped create this. Yeah. I was a early believer and I, I, uh, I, I got involved and put down $200 uh, for two season tickets back when the whole thing was starting. And, and so when the team came, even to this day, 31 years later, there's a sense that the community made it happen. And you run into people all the time who proudly wear their jerseys or their hat, and they just feel that they helped bring the team here. Uh, that same atmosphere would be here with baseball. And that's important, a, a, a sense of community ownership, community um, birthing, that they made it happen or helped make it happen. Mm-hmm. And I could see that being part of this if, if we're successful. Has this been on your mind even before they made this, this announcement about the, uh, the cities that they were thinking of choosing for a baseball team? Had it been on your mind before that? Alan, let's go way back. Okay. Let's go way back. The Magic played their first season in 1989, uh, the 89-90 season. At the end of that season, uh, the National League in baseball uh, had made a decision that they were going to expand by two cities. And we got in that pursuit. Hmm. And um, that's what uh, led me to go to Grand Rapids, Michigan, in late August of 1990. And that's where I met Rich DeVos for the first time, uh, the co-founder of the Amway organization. I, uh, I pitched him this expansion idea for Orlando. For Orlando. Uh, the, um, the cost to get in was, um, 95 million today, by the way, it's going to be over a billion. Oh, wow. Um, anyway, Rich DeVos bought in and he, he said, yes, I'll, I'll be head up the ownership group for, for this effort. We did not get it in 91. They went to Miami. Despite our fervent pleas <clears throat> that Orlando is your spot, not Miami. This is where it belongs. Well, they went to Miami. <clears throat> uh, Rich DeVos and his family, however, had spent time in Orlando. They became very fond of this area uh, through that winter. They felt so uh, included and, and had such a warm feeling about Orlando that when the magic owners at the time decided to sell, uh, the DeVos family was first in line. Uh, they already had some roots here, and that's how they became the owners of the Magic uh, 29 years ago. 29. Wow. And uh, they've owned the team since then and uh, didn't get baseball, but we got the DeVos family to own basketball. So in answer to your question, yes, we've got a long history. And, and one other footnote in the mid-90s, 95-ish, uh, baseball decided to expand again, this time the American League, and they viewed all their different cities, and that's the time they went to Phoenix and Tampa Bay. Oh. Although I call it St. Petersburg, because it's not Tampa Bay. The ballpark was had already been built in St. Pete, and that expansion team was awarded uh, to... St. Pete. Mm-hmm. And again, despite our pleas, uh, baseball said, we're going there. 
So we were left on the side of the road twice. But since then, Alan, uh, the growth and, and uh, the size of this market and, and what's going on here uh, propels us, I believe, way past St. Pete. Um, St. Pete and Miami have not done well with, with Major League Baseball. I hope, I hope that's not a reflection on Orlando. In other words, just saying it hasn't worked in Florida. Mm-hmm. And it hasn't in those two markets. It hasn't worked in Florida. So that's that. Oh, and we got to fight that. Yeah. We got to fight and let them know that Orlando is a totally different market. Yes. We're a family market. We're a young market. We, uh, we have different values uh, than, um, than Miami, different values than St. Pete. You know, over in St. Pete, Alan, you know, on weekends, they have cane throwing contests. They have a, a, another exciting venture. It's called Bobbing for Dentures <laughs> in, in, in St. Pete. Um, we're a different market. Yes, we are. And, and we, we've got we've to show that, that, that uh, we, we just have a whole different outlook here. We surely do. Now, the website... And, is, Alan, you could yeah, probably my, get in on that bobbing for dentures. You know, you could probably... No, I've got my teeth. Oh, I you do? I'm, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I do. I still have my teeth. I'm afraid I go to the dentist next week. Good for you, Alan. Check it out. OrlandoDreamers.com. That is the website where you can make a comment and say, you want baseball here in Orlando, Florida. Major League Baseball. Again, that uh, website, Orlando. OrlandoDreamers.com. And, uh, Pat, we got a break. Yes. And then we're going to come back. And I have a lot of questions for you. I want to know where a team would come from. Uh, and then I want to find out where you got the nickname Orlando Dreamers. Good. Well, that's a good talk. Yeah, know. we have a whole lot of questions. So stay around. You're listening to Pat Williams on the sat- on. You're listening to Pat Williams on the Saturday Power Hour. And we'll be back in just a moment. Welcome back to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. I'm Alan Dempsey, and I have the pleasure and the honor of speaking with the very own Pat Williams. And uh, he has a sense of humor, friends. That's all I can tell you. I heard you last time talking about dentures and cane throwing over in Tampa. So uh, there's no animosity there, is there, Pat? Oh, just a little tweet. <laughs> just a little tweet. What do you think a team... What we're talking about is OrlandoDreamers.com and how you can make it possible to help bring a Major League Baseball team to Orlando. And uh, my curiosity would be, Pat, do you create a new team or do you bring a team from somewhere else? I think that's how it works. Well, well, there are two options, Alan. Yeah. Uh, how do you get a major league team in your city? One, a, an existing team moves. Mm-hmm. Well, that's one possibility. Or uh, the league itself decides to expand and, and add new franchises. Uh, that's how Denver and Phoenix and Miami and Tampa Bay, that's how they got in mm-hmm. through expansion. So it's, it's one of those two options. Uh, what's going to happen there? I don't know. Uh, we'll, we're going to have to just wait and see how baseball um, might pull all this off. But all I know is, uh, without knowing how, where it's all leading and how it might happen, uh, we've got to do our part here uh, to really 
stand out. Uh, in other words, we are competing intensely with Charlotte, with Nashville, with Vegas, with Portland, those cities that have already been announced in, in baseball's uh, favor. Uh, we've got to demonstrate that uh, we've got far more to add uh, to big league baseball than, than those other cities. So we're competing like crazy. Well, listen, Orlando's uh, not reluctant to compete. Mm-hmm. I mean, we compete uh, for airline passengers in this city. I, by the way, Orlando's airport has just been named the busiest airport in the state. And Terminal C hasn't even been finished yet. It's a busy place. Yeah. We, um, we compete, Alan, for uh, conventioneers. We compete, I mean, headlong with Vegas. Back and forth. Viva. <laughs> yeah. Viva Las Vegas. Yeah, I remember. So, so uh, we're competing on the size of the convention center with Vegas and other cities. By the way, uh, there's been a... $600 million of, uh, financial approval uh, to expand the convention center here once again. And, and that's because, Alan, uh, that fuels our economy. We're not a manufacturing center. Uh, we're, a, we're a visitor center. We're, uh, we're in the business of attracting conventions. And we have the convention center for it, too. Yes, we do. It's amazing. And, and, Alan, they keep adding $600 million has been approved, and that construction will start soon. And and it's all designed to keep in the the hunt, in the game. Uh, You can't afford to fall behind in that business. And as I said, Vegas is, uh, is the most intense competition. Chicago, of course, and there's some other cities in the convention business, but right now, Orlando and Vegas just rock back and forth. So we know how to compete mm-hmm. in this market, and uh, we're going to be competing hard here uh, for a baseball team. And our job is to, is to have our, our portfolio mm-hmm. so impressive. And the only way I know to do that is this website and, and these people saying... Yes, I am interested in a season ticket plan at some point. I would be interested. Now, that doesn't, you're not get, putting up any money. <clears throat> it's just that you're interested. Yeah, in you're this. interested. Yeah. And you don't, we don't know prices. We don't know anything other than uh, people saying, you know, I would have some interest here. Well, listen, by the time we got to this, you may have moved or your financial package may not allow it, but... Today, yeah, I'm interested today. <clears throat> and, the, and, and that number, Alan, I want that to just stagger baseball. I want, in other words, if, if 20,000 people go up and say, yes, I have interest. Mm-hmm. Well, 20,000 times two, nobody buys one. Yeah. 20,000 times two, what's, what is that? That's 40,000. That sure is. 40,000 potential there. tickets. And the ballpark these days are all being, they, they don't build 
60,000 seat stadiums anymore or 50,000 <clears> seat stadiums. They're all around 40. That seems to be the number now, 40. And, uh, and I, uh, I can picture Alan, that ballpark filled every night. Um, here, here's just a thought uh, when this could happen, mm-hmm. uh, and we're at the 80 million tourist number coming here. Yeah. Now that's year round. So not, there, there's some to come, you know, not in non-baseball season, but 2% of 80 million is 1.6 million who might want to go to a ball game. That's mm-hmm. not a, that's not a stretch. That's not a, a, a real reach. Two uh, percent of eighty million want to go see a game. One point six million, and, and 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 any franchise worth its salt is going to draw a million five. <clears throat> Miami certainly didn't. Neither did the Rays. But um, so if one point five and one point six, that's three point one million. And there were only five teams last year, Alan, that drew. Uh, three million or more, only five: the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Angels, <clears throat> the Cubs, and the Cardinals. <coughs> well, the, the, the only five who who got there, mm-hmm. and I think realistically, Orlando could be a uh, three million a year uh, attendance. And they can they can make their contribution by going online to the website, yeah. and that's orlandodreamers.com. And I assume, because a little hand came up there, uh, where it says in red, I support the MLB in Orlando, that is where they can yes. make their comments and say, yes, I'm interested yes. in uh, tickets for this yes. and season tickets. Yeah, we oh, want to hear from you. Definitely. Alan, I've been asked many times in the last month, What's with this dreamer's nickname? I was just going to ask you. <laughs> well, let me just say this. In November of 1963, a uh, California businessman uh, took a secret mission, a flight over central Florida. And he looked down and he said, hmm, I could see a working movie studio go right there. Or that's a great spot for a castle. I can picture the whole thing. And that was Walt Disney's introduction to Central Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, they purchased that land, and the second Disney theme park, park was built. Mm-hmm. Walt didn't live to see it, but uh, it was his dream that fueled everything that's happened here. His dream. Mm-hmm. Then soon thereafter, Arnold Palmer came with big dreams about golf. And then John, astronaut John Young arrived, or he was here, and he had big dreams about space exploration. And then in 1986, uh, a businessman named Jimmy Hewitt uh, had big dreams about uh, Orlando becoming an NBA basketball city. Uh, we, uh, and, and Alan, everybody who comes here, I'm convinced they come with big dreams. Whether they're tourists, whether they're moving here, they have big dreams. Mm-hmm. Big dreams for their life, big dreams for their family, uh, big dreams that they want to see come to reality. I think that word captures 
what Central Florida is all about. We're, we're a community with big dreams. So I think, the, I think Dreamers captures it, who we are. Uh, we, we didn't need another wild animal or a fruit or juice or, um, you know, there are enough of them. <laughs> okay. But Dreamers, I think, is who we are. Anyway, Alan, yeah. uh, great to talk to you. And, uh, Pat, thank you for letting me uh, talk to you about Orlando Dreamers. And, by the way, the website is orlandodreamers.com. You can make your comments there that you would support being a, a season ticket holder and you support a Major League Baseball team in Orlando. Just go to orlandodreamers.com. And, Pat, will be back to wrap it up in just a moment here on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Thanks for joining us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. In that first segment, Matt Thomas was with us uh, talking about his book, Completing Project Me. Alan Dempsey loved that title. He was just absorbed with that title. And then in the second segment, we kind of reversed roles and Alan Dempsey uh, grilled me, grilled me about Major League Baseball and the potential of it coming here to Orlando. Uh, good to talk baseball with Alan. And, uh, and, and we keep stressing, go up to that website, orlandodreamers.com, and, and just respond to those little uh, requests up there on that uh, website. And you'll, you'll see other interesting information there as well. Anyway, folks, have a wonderful weekend. Have a great week next week. Merry Christmas in advance. And this is Pat Williams signing off on the Saturday Power Hour here on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando.